welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. We are here with Tina Leaf, the clinical team lead from Employee and Family Resources. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at EFR and any anything else you want them to know about you. Okay, so I came to EFR mid-pandemic um, and I was um, brought here to be the clinical team lead. So what that means is I typically, um, in, a, in a day, will maybe see some EAP clients, I will do some outpatient treatment, um, but a main function of what I also do is providing supervision and just making sure that our team of outpatient clinicians uh, have what they need to do to do their jobs day to day. All right, and what, what is your educational experience or background? So I have my bachelor's degree from the University of Iowa, and then um, I graduated with my master's from the University of Northern Iowa. So. Two different Iowa colleges. Go Panthers. <laughs> I'm also a UNI grad. So I thought that this would be a really interesting podcast episode because, of course, a large part of what we do at EFR uh, through our EAP and through our outpatient counseling is provide counseling services to individuals and families. But if you're listening and you don't have our EAP benefit and you've always kind of wondered, could a counselor help me? I just thought it'd be interesting to have a candid conversation about counseling just how it works, maybe some myths and misconceptions. Uh, and I I can just speak to my own personal experience. You know, I never saw a counselor until I was in my 30s, and now it's part of, like, my self-care routine. And I've moved through a couple of different counselors, and so I thought it would be interesting also to talk, you know, about when might it be time to, you know, identify if a counselor is a good fit for you, maybe – at certain points in life, you need a certain type of counselor, and at other times in life, you need someone else. So I just kind of want to kick off the conversation with, why would someone want to consider speaking with a counselor? Like, what are some of the general benefits, uh, you know, that you see? Like, what do you think most people kind of lose sight of when they think, should I see a counselor? Should I not see a counselor? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are so many great reasons to see a counselor. Um, I think the one that, that sticks out for me is a counselor is somebody who is removed from your everyday life. And so, you know, it's not your mom or your sister or your best friend. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, you have those friends who say, well, I don't want to just keep dumping my problems on you. You want your friendship to be more than that. To me, that's a good time to see a counselor, right? It's somebody who really, you know, is removed from the immediate situation. And so they can just sometimes give a clearer or different perspective. Um, so I think that's, you know, a really good reason to, to see a counselor because they're just a little bit removed from from your, your everyday life. Yeah, would you say that they kind of approach whatever you're experiencing in life with more of a neutral standpoint or they can view it maybe more objectively? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the, you know, one of the, the great aspects of working with a counselor is it's it's somebody who's really not there to judge you they're they're there to allow you the space to be open and honest and meet you where you're at Mm -hmm. Um, you know you you when you meet with a counselor they don't necessarily have an agenda Um, I always say whatever your agenda is that's what I want to help you achieve Um, and so I think that non-judgmental non-biased stance is is super helpful too so 
I'm assuming you have a lot of friends. Do some of your friends, because they know you're a counselor, kind of rely on you to be a sounding board? I'm just curious because I have a close friend. She's not in practice right now, but she is a so she was a social worker, and I just feel like every time I'm talking to her about my life happenings, I, I just feel that little shift in the conversation. Oh, no, she put her social worker hat on for a moment. So do you feel like you have to have good boundaries with your friends as it relates to what they're experiencing in life? Oh, absolutely. You know, sometimes I have to have that conversation like, I'm your friend right now, not your therapist. Yeah. I think it also kind of works with, with my kiddos at home too, right? Sure. A lot of times parents, um, you know, as a, as a therapist who I, I treat children also, um, you would think that my children are perfectly behaved and that we never have issues. And I'm not a therapist when I go home. I'm a mom. mom. Yeah. You know, and so differentiating those roles, I think, is super important. Yeah. Why do you think people are hesitant to reach out to counselors? Gosh, I think people can be hesitant for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think that, you know, there's there's still that stigma of, mm-hmm. of mental health and the label and um, admitting that I need help um, or admitting that I, I can't figure it out on my own. Um, I think people are hesitant to reach out to counselors because they probably can't help me anyway, yeah. I think is a is a big, a big thought. Um, like they think, think their I, problems are too big to be, yes. you know, addressed by anyone. Absolutely. It's too late type yeah. thing. I've also, you know worked with kiddos and if they're not ready I always say let's not push it right because as they grow into young adults I don't want them to think back to their first therapy experience and say I hated it I never want to do it again so some people have those first experiences with therapy where maybe it wasn't a good fit or they weren't ready to open up and and do the work and so they get turned off to therapy so then as young adults when they're you know able to process some of that they don't want to do it because their first experience was tough. Yeah, I mean, I think about the first time I took my daughter to the dentist and she was kind of resisting, and I remember the dental hygienist said, okay, we're actually just going to have her sit in the chair today. We're not going to do anything because we don't want her to always think the dentist is scary and that we're forcing her into something. So I think that's interesting uh, for people to consider if they are kind of going down that path of getting some family counseling or counseling for their kids is that you do want it to be a positive experience because – you know, you don't want it to be a traumatic event where they feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And so, uh, you know, I've never really thought of it that way, but I, I think that's a really good point is that, you know, think about the other things you do as a kid, going into a swimming pool by yourself for the first time, going to the dentist, you know, maybe having, um, getting swabbed for COVID, you know, sometimes those can, you know, last with you for a long time. And so you want, the counseling experience to be positive because you want benefits from it. And Absolutely. so readiness. And as a counselor, I would imagine part of your job is to let a parent know, I don't think this is the right time. Mm-hmm. I think we've kind of are where we can be for a while. And then would you let them know, like, these would be some indicators that they would be ready to come back? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I think the biggest indicator sometimes that a kiddo is ready to come back is they say, I want to go to, I want to, go to counseling. Or if yeah. the parent says, like, well, do you want to talk to somebody else about it? And they say, yes, that's a good indicator. Um, but a kiddo who you have to drag in kicking and screaming, like, I don't want to be the counselor on the other end of that. That's really tough. Yeah, for sure. How do you recommend people identify a counselor that would be a good fit for either themselves or their family members? I think there's a lot of great tools nowadays, right? I think about um, 
psychology today yeah. you know i when i looked for my own therapist i looked primarily based on the pictures number one and then number two kind of what the qualifications were or or what um you know what their area of specialty was right and whether that would be a good fit for me um so i tell people you know look on look on psychology today or reach out to friends and family and say do you have anyone you would recommend um I think sometimes you you meet a counselor, you you go in for a couple sessions, and you're you're typically going to know within a couple sessions whether or not it's a good fit, mm-hmm. right? And and I I tell people I'm not everybody's cup of tea. You know the right. way I approach therapy and how I do things may not be beneficial for you. That's okay to tell me because my ultimate goal is that you are able to meet with a counselor who you feel comfortable with or who your family feels comfortable with that you feel like you can be open and honest and ask questions. Um, and if that's not me, I would rather know that so that you can find somebody that, that you can, you know, create that relationship with. For sure. You know, I think a lot of people, and I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, I used to, and I could maybe find it and include it in the show notes, but a lot of people are introduced to counseling and therapy through an EAP benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their first introduction to speaking with a professional about whatever's going on in their lives and of course that's a large part of what we do at EFR and that's how I started my own counseling uh, experience was through I was going through a divorce six years ago and I used my own EAP benefit and I met with a counselor who was was really good at that time in my life and I stayed with her for several years Um, and then I encountered a different set of circumstances in my life and I remember my counselor saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm the best fit for you any longer based on kind of the questions you've been asking me and the circumstances with which, you know, you're now kind of living your life. And I was kind of like, is she breaking up with me? Uh (laughs) But now I look back at it and it was kind of a gift because I went, now I went outside of my EAP, of course, because I was in long-term counseling and I looked on psychology today and I found my current counselor and she's been tremendously helpful just as helpful. I mean, it's just different, mm-hmm. different sets of circumstances. So can you kind of explain, um, are there times when a counselor has to release someone or says, you know, I, I don't think I'm the best fit for you based on whatever it is that you're presenting? Does that happen? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I would say, you know, um, I think as a counselor, you're always thinking about, you know, am I beneficial to this client, right? Because ultimately the goal is for us to have a collaborative relationship so that um, we can build that trust so that the counseling service can be helpful. And so I always tell folks that yes, in the in the therapy process, I'm continually assessing. I'm continually assessing if this is still beneficial. I'm continually assessing, am I the right person? Um, because I'm not an expert in everything, right? right. And, and they may come with more diverse needs than, than I have the level of expertise to, um, to treat, right? Uh-huh. And so I want them to get the results they want as quickly as possible. And so I think there are times where, um, you know, or sometimes when we've been working at this and we're just not making progress anymore. And, you know, sometimes if you've been working with somebody for so long, um, you know, I would invite them to explore maybe changing it up a little bit and seeing if there's somebody who who has a different approach mm-hmm. or a different way of thinking or interacting with them that can be helpful. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, on some level it's like, you know, am I 
am I breaking up with them? Are they breaking up with me? Are they firing me? Right. Um, and I'm totally okay with that, you know? And I think most counselors are because we want what's best for our clients. And sometimes we're not it. Yeah. Uh, how do you determine how often someone should see a counselor? I mean, is that up to the counselor? Is it up to the client? Is it a little bit of both? I would say it's a super collaborative approach, right? Okay. And so um, I think there are red flags that indicate when, when a person needs to be seen you know, pretty frequently and frequently would be weekly or a couple times a week. Um, and that's for those clients that are really teetering on like needing a higher level of care. And we're really trying what we can to keep them in the community um, instead of going to a higher level of care. I would say that most commonly when people are kind of like in the treatment phase of things, they're coming about every other week, right? Because I like to give a little space to allow them to think about and to process what we've talked about, to practice the things mm -hmm. that we've talked about. And so I like to give them about two weeks. Um, and then we come back in, we come together, we say what worked, what didn't work. Um, I think as they kind of get to that maintenance phase, then we push it out and we say, let's see if you can go three weeks. Let's yeah. see if you can go a month and, and how you do. Because at the end of the day, I'm not always going to be in their life. And right. you know, I want them to build the skills and the confidence to do this without me. Yeah, it is interesting because for a person who sees a counselor, that counselor can be a very, very important person in their life. Yet, I really know nothing about that person. Uh -huh. You know, I think about that a lot with my own counselor. I think, you know, I, I really rely on her support and expertise uh, to kind of help me manage life's challenges. Yet, I don't really know her very well. Uh, you know, I know a few things about her, but I don't know her that well. Uh, but she's still a very important person in my life, even though she's like a very peripheral person in my life. Absolutely. And so I think that's, you know, it's it's interesting. As a counselor, how do you manage your own emotions? I, I would imagine that you experience hearing people's stories, hearing them express what's going on in their lives. How do you kind of set healthy boundaries so that you're not emotionally overloaded? Does that make sense? Sure, sure. You know, I think some people innately have it. I think other people, it's a skill you have to work on, right? As as a therapist, um, we talk a lot about you leave your your personal baggage at home, you leave mm -hmm. your work baggage at work. Mm -hmm. Like I don't take work home with me, just like I wouldn't bring you know home to work with me. And so um, I talk a lot with the with the counselors that I supervise. Um, I talk a lot about self care and and managing managing yourself. And so one of the great things about EFR and, and previous places is that level of collaboration and supervision mm -hmm. that we get. And I think that's a, a super important part of, of what we do, right? That, that we work with other therapists who are also hearing, you know, lots of hard stuff and, and figuring out, you know, what do you do when you've mm -hmm. had a really tough day? How do you unload that so that it's not brought home with you yeah. or... Um, you know, so that you're not carrying it with you. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I always wonder about is, wow, how can you see six, seven people in one day and not kind of carry yeah. their stories with you and let it affect, you know, you personally? And I think that's why you see such high levels of, of burnout sometimes mm -hmm. with, with counselors and therapists because they don't have appropriate coping mechanisms or strategies to deal with wow, I just saw seven clients who are going through a lot. Yeah. What do I do with that? Where do yeah. I un, un, you know, unload it? Um, 
And it's funny because as a supervisor, you know, sometimes when I hear therapists going through it, my first question is, do you have somebody you can talk to? Yeah. You know, I'm a big proponent of like, as a therapist, yes, I'm in therapy because we have to have a a safe place where, where we can say, you know, even as a professional, this story, hearing it impacted me, you know? Yeah. So as a therapist who has a therapist, do you let your therapist know initially what you do or do you try to screen them for, do you know what I'm saying? Ah. (laughs) I mean, and and she probably knows, you know, like, okay, I'm working. I let her know, you know, where I work. It's right on the paperwork. Exactly. You know, so so she knows to some level. And, And I think, too, sometimes as a therapist, it's hard. Because I'm like, ooh, I see what she did there. I like that technique or I like that question. <laughs> so it's right? hard to separate. This is my time for my own self-care versus I'm developing professionally yes, by yes. learning these techniques uh-huh. that someone else is using on me or uh-huh. with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you, and I'm putting you on the spot here because I didn't ask you in advance, but LISW versus LMHC. LISW. Yes. Uh-huh. So that's Licensed Independent Social Worker. Yep. Yeah. An LMHC licensed mental health counselor. Uh huh. Are they? What are the differences? What are the similarities? Well, it's interesting. Um, we're very similar. I think the uh, focus in school might be a little different. Okay. Um, so, to me, social work might be a little bit broader where mental health counseling is really concentrated in in kind of the the skill of of mental health counseling though i can't speak to that a hundred percent um you know i know as a social worker i can do lots of you know different things that maybe aren't just counseling okay so to speak okay Mm -hmm. and should people be paying attention to the letters behind people's names when they're searching for a counselor do you think that's important or do you think it's more what their areas of expertise are within you know I would say it's both and, right? I think I think areas of expertise would probably be the biggest thing I'd be looking at. Um, LISW compared to LMSW just means I've had more time in the field, okay. I've had more supervision, and I and I don't necessarily have to work under supervision. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Um, and then, so so some people say I want somebody who has a little bit more experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so working with, you know, a psychologist or an LMHC um, or an LISW would be a little bit different than than some of those newer folks. Okay. How does, we talked a little bit about kids and counseling, and I'm assuming through the EFR, through the EFR, through the EAP benefit, you see families. Uh-huh. How does families counseling usually work? I mean, is it, do you see everyone in one session? Do you break it up? I love family counseling. Um, I, I would prefer to do all family work sometimes, okay. right? Especially when, you know, you're working with, with young kiddos. Um, because I can't expect a kiddo to change without some aspects of their family also changing, True. right? Like, I can help a kiddo build individual skill all the time. But if his family dynamic is chaotic, then we're not going to see a ton of improvement, right? And so you have to have participation um, and buy-in from the entire family. And so sessions can look look very different, right, um, session to session. Sometimes I might, uh, you know, meet with, with the parents individually to gain their perspective and understanding as to what's going on. Then I might meet with the kiddos. I'm going to want to meet with them all together just to see how the dynamics yeah. go and, and how they communicate and function within the family. Um, and then I might, you know, specifically say, okay, 
this piece of the family relationship really needs some attention for the entire family to function appropriately. And so, you know, that's where you, you really focus on you know, what are the goals of treatment, right? And, and those are always established by your client. And, mm-hmm. and as a family, you know, it's established as a family. We want to, we want to get along better. We want to argue less. Um, and so we figure out, you know, how do we guide treatment so that it meets that overall goal? Yeah. How has that worked through the pandemic doing a lot of, I, we spoke before we were on the record and you said you're still doing telehealth and, you know, it's, it's different, right? I mean, did you ever imagine that you would be in this profession and not seeing people face to face? No. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's been and it's been such an adjustment. I remember when COVID started and we, we were doing telehealth and I said, it's not going to last that long. You know, we're just going to get through it and we'll go back to seeing people in person. And now we here we are a year later. Yeah. You know, and we've had to make I think as clinicians, as as clients and families, we've had to make so many adjustments right. in how things work, but I am like excited about how well people have adapted that's Um, good you know i think i think therapists have adapted counselors have adapted super well to providing it i think um clients and families have been receptive and open to it uh i think it creates a different dynamic sometimes too you know like sometimes to come into my office uh, a kiddo acts differently mm-hmm. than if I see them on their Zoom call from their smartphone in right. their living room, right. you know, with the dog barking and yeah. you just, you, you get a different, you get a different perspective. Yeah. I was thinking about when you mentioned as a counselor, you try to have those good boundaries, you know, this is my home life, this is my work life. And I would imagine you were working from home uh-huh. a lot doing, you know, providing your services from home. And so was that hard just kind of because you're in the same physical space that you know you would consider you know it's your home and your work and now it's the same physical space but now you're you know doing both in that space was that hard i think it was hard at first and i think um i think like a lot of people the adjustment time was was difficult right and i had to be super mindful about how I did that. And, you know, I had a foldable desk that at the end of the day, my computer went into my work bag, I folded my desk up and hid it away. I had a specific space in which I worked so that it wasn't my dining room table that I was going to be having dinner on an hour after I got off work. So I was able to allow myself that, you know, degree of separation, so to speak. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people about the commute home or the commute to work was was so great because it was like it helped you switch your mind right right? and when you couldn't do that because it's like okay i went from the living room to the kitchen exactly it didn't create that and so we had to be mindful like i would literally get in my car and drive around for 10 minutes and listen to music before i was ready to readjust and and change my role yeah that's a great idea i you know i think about I also pack up my workstation, so I'm in the office a couple of days a week now, but when I'm working from home, I do pack up my workstation every night. I put it away, and I that is the one area of my life where I can establish and hold really good boundaries. Other areas, I need some work, but that one, you know, the whole I'm at work, I'm at home, when I'm done working for the day, I do like to put put my workstation away or just, you know, not check my work email or, or do things. And I would imagine that Recommendations are like that are probably things that you're sharing with some of your clients who are might who might be feeling burned out or stretched or like they're constantly on. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you've noticed over the course of the pandemic? You know that I, w- I don't want to say is trending, but are are you seeing a lot of kind of the same stories about 
when will this end? I have anxiety about not knowing what the future looks like. Have you seen an increase in, in those types of conversations? Oh, tenfold. Absolutely. I think especially towards the beginning to the middle of the pandemic, it, it was that. Like, when am I going to get out of the house again? When am I going to mm. be able to see friends again? Um, when is this going to be over? When can I – the biggest one was when can I get back to normal? Yeah. And I was like, okay, can we focus on creating a new normal? Yeah. We may not get back to how we were in 2019, right? Right. We've got to adjust and adapt to what do we do in this new day and age. Yeah. No, and I think that's still a good reminder for people because things are still changing. Mm-hmm. What do you think are common myths and misconceptions about seeing a counselor? If you had to name one or two. As I thought about this, um, you think about like, what do you think about when you're going to see a counselor for the first time? And I sometimes ask my clients that because sometimes they'll say, this was way different than I expected. And I sit back and I'm like, tell me how. Yeah. You're just different than I expected, you know? It used to be like that, you know, you see in the movies, come sure. and lay on the couch. Yes. And, yes. It, and I'm going to talk soft and slow. And, and I'm, I'm going to be say, smoking a pipe. Yeah. Because sometimes that's exactly what it is in the movies. Yes. And how does that make you feel? Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. Um, and so I think sometimes when, when people um, – meet with us for the first time you can kind of see him sit back and relax and it's like okay this is gonna be okay yeah this is just another person uh-huh. who's here to support me mm-hmm. and who's not here to judge me I think for me that was really hard when I first started seeing a counselor I thought that my counselor wanted certain answers from me sure. um, as a people pleaser uh-huh. I almost I do have to catch myself at times like okay I'm not here to please my counselor I'm here to share with my counselor so she can support me. Yeah. And as a people pleaser, that's hard. Like that's a I lot have of work. I have to think, okay, my counselor is not expecting me to say I did this, this and this. They're just wanting to know what I did and then they're going to help me get to wherever I need to go next. And so uh, I, I don't know if you pick up on that in some sessions where you can sense that maybe people are trying to give you the answers that they think you want uh-huh. or that they think are best for them but maybe aren't true to how you know they really can get through life or whatever yeah. situation they're in and I always tell folks tell me tell me what's real don't tell me what you think I want to hear yeah tell me tell me how you feel about it like that's my job you know to not judge you and and to help you get through that I think that le- you know that's another misconception that like when you go to therapy we're gonna fix you right and I'm like I don't know what other experiences you've had but as a counselor um, I'm going to put in as much effort as you're going to put in. So if you're going to put in 100%, please believe I will put in 100%, right? But if you're only going to put in 40%, I can't put in 60%. Right. I can't work harder than you, right? Because I can't fix you. But what I can do is hear you and give you skills and support you to use what you have inside of you to fix or to change whatever's going on for you. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation, and I thank you so much for your time. I would like to remind our listeners, if you have an EAP benefit, whether it's with EFR or a different EAP provider, oftentimes an EAP can get you into a counselor much quicker than going to psychology today, finding a counselor, and then trying to schedule uh, with them directly. So um, if you have an EAP, I would encourage you to start there because 
you will get sessions um, at no cost up front. So depending on what your benefit package looks like, um, there would be some sessions at no cost up front. Again, we can typically, EAPs can typically get you in much quicker than if you were to go out on your own. If you don't have an EAP, don't let that be a barrier to seeing a counselor. Um, I would say Psychology Today is a great resource for finding a counselor, um, you know, close to you in terms of where you live. And then they can also kind of give you an overview of that counselor's areas of expertise and training so that you can find someone who is a good fit. And then I would also like to say that if you start with someone and you don't think they're a good fit, don't give up. There, there will be someone who is a good fit for you and that can help you. And it is okay to reach out and ask for help. So at EFR, we say life happens. We're here to help. If you have our EAP, please call us at 1-800-327-4692. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkong.